0: Series today, that this morning and the next two Sunday mornings, and on our candlelight Christmas Eve service, we will be um, sharing together with. And our purpose in this is to really make this season of the year much more meaningful. To call our attention to the things of God, and and to to just. Help us to, it's so easy for all of us to be distracted in life, Um, but for all of us to really gain the most out of this season um, for God's honor and glory, and we trust that that you will have just a, a great season and that this can be a small part of helping make it meaningful. One other announcement that the widows that will be coming over to our house today for lunch, we'd like to meet with you right in the back, right back there by Maysall afterwards so we can figure out the car arrangement and how we're getting everybody out there and so on. So if you're planning to come out for lunch, um, we'll meet right back there after the service, all right? That... Um, We look forward to, it's always a very, very special time. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, I'll begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 7. This is the prophet Isaiah and uh, the message that he's bringing. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation And not increase the joy, they joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your written word. We thank you that it is the standard. We thank you that your word is a living book and that your spirit is here to minister and open our eyes and our understanding and to make application in our lives so lord we we ask for your mercies today i pray that you truly would uh, awaken our spirits to the things of you in jesus name amen <clears throat> think about 700 years ago um 700 years ago would have been what year? 1315, okay? 1315, what are some, I mean, 700 years? That's a long time. What are some major world events that have happened in the past 700 years? Revolutionary War, Discovery of America, 1492, so that's getting back closer. What are some other in the last 700 years? Reformation, okay? Pardon? The printing press. What year was that? Do you know? You're not being tested on this, okay? I'm just... 700 years, a lot of things happen. This, in Isaiah 9, was written 700 years before Christ was born. And this prophecy about Christ was fulfilled and will continue to be fulfilled... But just to give you a picture, Isaiah is giving this. This isn't something that was written after Christ was born and and they decided, let's put together this stuff. 700 years is a long time. I mean, it's, it's basically three of the life of the United States of America, basically. So 700 years... Before Christ came, Isaiah prophesied and he gave this prophecy regarding Jesus Christ. But let's, let's just step back into Isaiah's time. The scene is Isaiah is prophesying during King Ahaz of Israel. And we can read more about him. We won't take the time. But in 2 Kings 18, King Ahaz was a very, very wicked king. He introduced idolatry to Israel. This was a time of great, great darkness. And Isaiah comes on the scene and and the darkness is everywhere. King Ahaz introduced idolatry to Israel. He introduced the worship of the god Molech, who was the savage god of the Ammonites. He established um, an altar to Molech in the Mount of Olives. So the city of Jerusalem was surrounded and infested with the worship of Molech. He created this statute of this God and put a furnace at the feet of this God so that parents could throw their children into the fire and burn them as offerings to this God. This was what was involved in the worship of the God of Moloch, to give you an idea of the darkness, of the wickedness. Ahaz shut down the temple in Jerusalem, um, barred it closed, and left the whole temple to complete decay and waste. Under him, true worship of God was, was just a flickering flame, but was basically extinguished. It was a time of great, great darkness for the nation of Israel. We live today in a time of great darkness. The darkness of man's heart hasn't changed in one bit. In fact, um, as mankind, we become more clever in our devices, and um, it's, it's amazing how in the midst of the darkness of this world, and I'm not going to tarry long here, but if you're paying any attention at all to the things going on in this world, it is a very, very dark, dark world. We we can't imagine. We, um, thankfully, are very, very sheltered from much of the darkness in the world today. But the the atrocities that are going on around the world the sex slave business that is the the slavery that that puts um, puts evil on steroids if you please it is it is atrocious the darkness that is there and in the midst of darkness God sends a man Isaiah with the message, and it's a message that brings with it a prophecy that we're going to look at here. But that message was not necessarily received at the time that it was given. And when Christ was sent into the world, Man again refused Jesus Christ, understanding that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But in the midst of this darkness, Isaiah comes with this prophecy of a promise. Notice verse 6. For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is the promise. He says, For unto us a child is born. He he's manifesting some some very important principles and doctrines in this this phrase unto us a child is born and the phrase unto us a son is given is not just a a repeating of what he'd already said it's not a a sake where he is is being redundant it's not where he's repeating himself to make sure that you heard it, when he says a child is born, those hearing this understood that this was a child that would be born of woman and it manifests his humility. This is a savior that he's talking about here. And he said a child would be born and it it's dealing with his humanity. For anyone to bear the sins of mankind, they would have to identify with mankind, and they would have to be human. Jesus Christ was born of a woman. In, in Isaiah chapter 14, we find another prophecy. In, in Isaiah chapter 7, excuse me, in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So first of all, a child is born. It manifests his humanity. A son is given. Notice this, the son is given. He is emphasizing not the humanity, the son, the son of who? The Son of God is given. He is not born. He is given by God. He had to be God-man. So this phrase, in in the original language as they heard this, For unto us a child is born, and we know he is human. Unto us... A son is given. The son of God. This is God in the flesh. You say, I can't wrap my mind around that. That's right. Because God is far greater than us. We can't wrap our mind around the fact that a virgin would conceive. We can't wrap our mind around God. But this is God's doing And he said, Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is the Son that is given, and He is a child that is born. As we read in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, that again is the humanity, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, his godhood, which means God with us. He is all of man and all of God, and this is the promise. Isaiah says, it is a very, very dark day. And he said, out of Galilee, and this is interesting, to the Jews, Galilee was some place that was looked upon with disrespect and disregard, It was a border town, it was a a scum town area, even yet to this day it is not a highly populated area. And, And he said that out of Galilee would come this one that would be our Savior, that would be our Deliverer, and he gives this promise so... It is hard for them to to comprehend this out of Galilee. How could it come out of that? Everything about Jesus Christ went against the grain of the natural mind. He's the king. He would come as a king. He'd set up his kingdom. No, he came as a baby. As Andrew mentioned a moment ago, he... He came as a baby, helpless. We, we sang this morning, um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. One of the verses said, Offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Notice that right here in this. It, it's teaching this important doctrine. Offspring of a virgin's womb. He's the offspring of Mary. Humanity. But he is veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate. Incarnate means God in the flesh. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus our God with us. So see, what what we're what we're celebrating here. Darkness, darkness, darkness everywhere. And God sent His Son in the midst of this darkness. The promise was given. And then Isaiah goes on and he begins a description about this gift. He says in Isaiah chapter 9, And His name shall be called... It, it really isn't dealing with the specific names, although he bears these names. But Isaiah is emphasizing here a description of his nature and his qualities. So that's what we want to get in. What is this gift? It's, it's, it's the God-man. It's Jesus Christ. But notice what he says. His name shall be called Wonderful. beyond anything we have ever seen, wonderful, singularly unique, extraordinary, so vast, wonderful means so vast that we cannot understand the full meaning, that Jesus would be beyond all our expectations. It's interesting, this... um, the, the Hebrew word that is used here for wonderful is the word Pele. And to the vast majority of you, that means nothing. But Pele is the world's greatest soccer player ever. I mean, his legacy goes on. Um, teams, his number was number 10. And teams um, desired best player's desire to wear number 10. And Pele, I I shared this with my wife, and she said, I'm sure they didn't know that when they named him that. I'm sure they probably didn't. To me, it's just a coincidence. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter about the world's greatest soccer player ever. What it matters is, Jesus' name is wonderful. And throughout the Bible, we sang this morning uh, that medley about wonderful, wonderful Jesus, and, and we sang about throughout the Bible, you start noticing all the references to the, the wonder of Jesus Christ. There is no doubt when Isaiah calls this promised child by this name that he means to say that that he is God, that he is beyond our comprehension, that this coming child that will be coming is the greatest wonder of the world. This is the greatest thing that ever happened. You know, we get used to, oh yeah, it's Christmas, yeah, Jesus came, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. This is the greatest thing that ever happened. There was great, great darkness. And now, finally, there came some light into this world. And this light still affects us today. And we need to, as believers, come back and say, God, help me this Christmas season. Help me today to see your wonder. Help me to stand in awe. We stand in awe at his creation. We stand in awe at sunrises. We, we stand in awe at, at seeing a, a beautiful buck with a rack come right in front of us and we're able to knock it down. We say, look at that thing. Whoa. Incidentally, congratulations to all you hunters that are here today on deer hunting day. All right? Good for you. I pray you get the biggest buck in the world, all right. Now, all of you can't get the biggest buck in the world because there's only one. So, any rate, but we stand in awe at various things. I, I stand in awe and wonder when I go out west and see the mountains and and see the 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 pristine lakes and clear water and and it's just awe inspiring. And you have various things that you stand in awe of. But Isaiah said, He is more than awe-inspiring. He is beyond our comprehension. There has never been anything like this ever seen. He is wonderful. And he says, He is the counselor. There There are linguists that say these really are combined together, that it's saying He is the wonderful counselor. I have no problem with that because He is wonderful and anything that He does, He is the wonderful counselor. The counselor means He is the advisor. He is the one to give counsel. He is the one to guide. Do you understand? God sent into this world the one who is the sum total of all knowledge. All wisdom, all guidance, all direction, all truth, all counsel, insight. He knows everything about everything and is never wrong. And he wants to be your counselor. Think of that. He knows everything about everything and he's never wrong. Wouldn't that be a pretty good person to go to? I mean, look at all the people we run after today. I mean, people flock to Dr. Phil and Oprah and who knows. I mean, I drive by some of these places. They have this funky-looking sign up. It says, um, psychic so-and-so, you know, come in. I think, seriously, people go into that, pay money to go into that? I mean, Honestly. There are people that, that get online and they find out what the horoscope says about today. What kind of day am I going to have? There are people, you'll, you'll, you'll see it, they're coming out with prophecies for 2016. And they'll say, uh, he was right last year on that prophecy. Yeah, He may have been. He gave 250 prophecies and he was right on one. If they're a true prophet, they're right on every one of them. The Bible says that if they're not, they're a false prophet. But we run to all these things. It's amazing what we as people go to for counsel. Some of the worst counsel you'll ever get are from your friends. It's serious. And, And we have this gift that is the wonderful counselor. He has all knowledge, past, present, and future, of all things and all purposes, and all plans belong to him. He even knows what is in your heart and my heart. He knows the depths of science. He made the Adam. The Adam awaits his order. And his steps, he holds the atom together. See, sometimes Christians have this idea that faith and science are opposed to each other. No, faith is in God who created everything that science observes. Science is observing. It's observing God's creation. God has no fear of what science is going to discover because what they're discovering is what he made. And science still scratches their head and said, uh, we don't know what holds this all together. There's electrons and neutrons and we don't know what holds it together. Colossians chapter 1 tells us what holds it together. God holds it together. By him all things consist. So, honestly, they've come up and said, let's call it a glutron. No, call it God. He knows everything about science. He knows the depths of creation. He knows exactly how big the sun needed to be, how hot it needed to be, how far away it needed to be, so that we wouldn't burn up or freeze he knows all about global warming and let me quote a verse for you from Psalm 37 the Lord shall laugh at them when he hears about this stuff global warming he says "Do you understand I've been taking care of this for all these years He knows the depths of truth. He is truth. He is unchanging and unwavering and never plays favorites. The truth doesn't care how you feel about it. It just stands and works and cannot be defied. Do you understand? Gravity doesn't care what anybody feels about it. It doesn't matter who it is that takes a wrong step on a ladder. They're going down. No respecter of persons. God's mind is so deep you'll never get to the bottom of it. God's mind is so complete that his plan is perfect, although it may be confusing to us at times. God's mind is so unsearchable that we cannot fathom it. He may be doing something today that won't bear fruit for 50 years, but it doesn't bother him because he knows what he's doing. God's mind is beyond us. We're limited to what we see, what we hear, what we experience. Not him. He's not limited at all. And think of this. We try to give God advice. God is the wonderful counselor. He came to make known. Jesus Christ came to make known the Father, to reveal the will of the Father and show us the only safe way to travel through this life. He is the wonderful counselor. In in the men's Sunday school class, we said today... It, we didn't say this part, but if God is all this, if he's this wonderful counselor, he knows everything, he's never made a mistake, we ask this question. Why do we find it so hard to trust him? Why do we find it so hard to trust him? Some of you, if, if you open the paper and you read today that the new Iowa State football coach had put together an advisory committed, committee and it included Gene Chiswick, Jim Walton, and Frank Lauterbur and Bob Cummings. Those of you that know much of anything, you'd probably say, for crying out loud, what is this guy doing? Those guys are all losers. But if you read, he, he called up certain people. you may have a hard time swallowing it, but he called up Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz and um, Nick Saban. You'd say, well, at least he's picking some guys that have done it before. Listen, we, anytime we go any place but to Jesus Christ, and hear what he says, we are choosing losers as our counselor. Jesus Christ alone knows. And the only thing that a person can do is give you the counsel of God. And if they don't give you the counsel of God, it doesn't matter. He he alone is the wonderful counselor. So, because Christ came, I don't have to go through life alone. I've got someone that can, can show me my purpose that can give me direction in every area of my life. I just want to quickly make some applications of these truths. Number one, we must embrace the wonder of Jesus. It it doesn't do any good for you to, to hear the story of Jesus and learn how wonderful He is if you don't make it personal, if you don't make it, To the point that you say, it was my sin that Jesus died for. It was my sin that He paid the penalty for. He took my place, my death. What an amazing story. Lord, I embrace the gift of Jesus Christ for my forgiveness. And then rejoice. In the permanence of his wonder, isn't it? Isn't it amazing the difference one week makes? Last Sunday at this time, those that are Hawkeye fans were saying, Woo! twelve and zero! Yeah, twelve and zero, perfect season! Woo!" What are, you, what are we saying today? The luster's off it, though, isn't it? You know what? Even if they go to the Rose Bowl, it's just not the same. Jesus' wonder never changes. Do you know what? Even even if your team, whoever your team is, wins and never loses, ever loses a game their wonder is going to be gone because next year there's a new champion. It's, oh yeah, we remember that, this and that. Even if you, you chase and find your, your life's dream and goal, whatever it is, the wonder of it is going to be gone. But rejoice in the permanence of the wonder of Jesus, he never loses his luster. He never loses his wonder. You know, it, it, it's amazing. Our our family, as most of you know, we have seven children, and two of them are still around the home now. and And they have different parents now than the older kids did. If you don't believe it, just ask the older kids. And they'll tell you. And if you don't believe it, just ask the younger kids. You know, they'll say, well, you didn't have to go around checking if mom left the burners on or where, (laughs) if if dad forgot he had a funeral today. That happened. I completely forgot I was supposed to have a funeral. You know what? Some of you are saying, what happened? They called me and I was ten minutes late and we got it done, okay? And thankfully, there wasn't any highway patrolman on Highway 14. (laughs) Jesus never forgets anything. And he is one thing that if you glory in him, it never loses its luster. Rejoice in the permanence of his wonder. And thirdly, seek his counsel. Seek his counsel and then obey his counsel. It's not seek his counsel. Oh, good, it agrees with what I want to do. So, yes, let's go. No, seek his counsel. I was, I was reading a message that John MacArthur preached in the 1970s. And, and he said, you know, it doesn't matter what counsel you give him. My daughter's in, see, this is what I deal with. My daughter's in the nursery standing at the door going like this. (laughs) Who paid her? Who paid her? (laughs) At any rate, John MacArthur said, it doesn't matter what counsel you give them, it doesn't do any good if they don't do it. He says, I can probably count. On one hand, the people that have obeyed the counsel that I gave them. And I thought, whoa, he's a big shot and he has that problem. Me, a little shot. I guess it's not so bad. It doesn't matter if you seek God's counsel if you don't obey it. It doesn't matter that he's the perfect counselor if I go and do exactly the opposite. It matters that we'll be. We did a survey. And you know what? When they go like that to me, that's like putting fuel to the fire, all right? <laughs> Just to let you know, all right? We did a survey right here, and we said list the, the one thing you think is the strength of the church and one thing you think is the weakness of the church. The strength of the church was... Um, The preaching of the word of God and exalting Christ and the weakness of the church was outreach to the community. Know what that tells me? We're hearing it and not doing it. That's not a good thing to hear, is it? God doesn't care what we hear if we don't do it. We're deceiving ourselves. And you and I must go to God and say, God, I need your wisdom. I can't be the husband I ought to be. I can't be the wife. I can't be the parent. I can't go to work and honor you working around here unless I have your power. God, I need you. How do I respond to this? We must get desperate for God's counsel. And then as he gives it, we must obey God. And then number five, in conclusion, rest in the counsel of Jesus. If this is what God said to do, do it and rest in it. Do you understand? That's what gives us purpose in life. I'm just doing what God said to do. And you can rest in that. It's all about. How life apart from Jesus is meaningless, clueless, fatiguing, empty, and dark. Listen, without Jesus, without this great gift and personalizing it, there is no reason, there is no purpose, there is no way, there is no path, there is no hope, there is no future, and there is no forgiveness. Do you know what we're getting in our world today? Our world today says, we don't want God. And God says, go ahead. You're going to have a society with no purpose, no hope, no path. Life is meaningless. People will walk in and just gun down people and won't even care. That's what you have. That's, we're getting what we desired without Jesus. But it doesn't have to be that way with us. Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, and his name is Wonderful Counselor. Is he your Wonderful Counselor today? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace the wonder of you and to rejoice in the permanence of that wonder. Lord, I pray that today, if there are any here today who have never come to receive the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that today they would receive that forgiveness. And then, Lord, I pray that every one of us would come to rejoice in Your wonder. I pray that we would desire Your counsel and obey it. And then just to rest in your counsel. Lord, you are more wonderful than our tongue could ever explain. I pray that your wonder would be reflected in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.